0: Well, good morning, Hillcrest Covenant Church. I'm delighted to be with you. I'm Pastor. Brad Bergfalk, I'm the interim lead pastor here at Hillcrest Covenant Church. Um, I'm delighted to have those of you who are joining us here in the building, and I want to put a, a shout out for those of you who are sitting in the comfort of your own home, enjoying it from your living room couch or wherever you happen to be. Glad to have you with us today. My wife and I, when we come to a new place like uh, the, general, the greater Kansas City area, we always try to explore the community in which we are sort of dropped you know, like out of a, a, a parachute into a place. And so yesterday, it was a beautiful day, and by the way, today's gonna to be a marvelous day, so um, I, I can't imagine this, this far into the fall being wearing shorts and, and short sleeve shirts. Where, where I come from on the East Coast, man, they're shoveling snow at this time of year. Anyway, uh, we, yesterday, we had, a, we had the quintet- quintessential uh, experience of, of Kansas. I, I rode my bike yesterday morning with some friends from the church here, and we went, I don't know, we went about 20 miles or so, and we were riding through some of the neighborhoods in, in the area, and we came across a house that had decked their entire front yard out for Halloween. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, we, we didn't decorate so much for Halloween. You know, maybe a few strands of whatever that stuff was it looks like uh, cobwebs, but we didn't go all out like people around here do. So So I ride my bike past this house, And it's a a complete set of two football teams' skeletons. And one team was wearing Las Vegas Raiders colors. And you'll never guess what the other team was wearing. (laughs) Yeah, the Chiefs. And and there was a skeleton on the sideline wearing a face mask. uh, So that must be Coach Reed. And I thought, man, they, they, they take this thing really seriously here. So that was one of my uh, experiences of Kansas. The other one was uh, yesterday afternoon, we decided, hey, let's, let's just go for a drive. We, you know, we, we've been kind of locked down for um, months, it seems. Well, it has been months. And so we took a drive west, and we're driving out Route 10, heading, I guess, towards Lawrence, Kansas. And we have a friend, and we said, uh, let's call her and see if she can help us uh, you know, maybe know where to go when we get out in the Lawrence area, and uh, so we called her up and said, hey, we're on our way to Lawrence on Route 10, is there anything you can recommend for us to see while we're out here? And she says, uh, well, it's, uh, it's, it's KU is there, and I said, yeah, yeah, we know that, but what al- is there anything else we should see? She goes, well, how would I know? I went to K-State. <laughs> So I learned something about people from Kansas in that conversation, right? You don't, you don't care what happens at the other school. Anyway, um, I'm preaching in the parable of the sower, and I'd like to read for you this morning the uh, scripture from Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 8. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If you're reading on a digital device, you can follow along. Matthew chapter 13, 1, 1 through 8 and 18 through 23. The parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all of the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things and parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some of it fell on the path and the birds came and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 and 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then continuing on at verse 18, Jesus interprets the meaning of his parable, and he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that uh, what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. So the the parable of the sower is probably one of the most well-known parables of all of the parables, especially of the ones we've looked at in the last few weeks. It's the only parable where Jesus provides the interpretation to the parable a few verses later. Now, some people wonder why this parable is commonly referred to as the parable of the sower when the sower appears to have such a small role in this story. I mean, after all, he just casts the seed and then sort of disappears off stage left. It it should be called uh, the parable of the careless sower because the sower appears to cast seed all over the place rather than directing the seed to the best soil. Someone has suggested the title of this parable could be the parable of the miraculous harvest because after the sower distributes the seed in a, fairly haphazard fashion, it's a miracle that any seed takes root anywhere. Or why not call this the parable of the good soil? Because that's the only seed that actually has a chance to take root and thrive. Well, Jesus ends this parable with this cryptic reference where he says this, Let anyone with ears listen. And we've heard that before in uh, our series of sermons on the parable, and I've actually spoken about it. Uh, and and um, the point Jesus is making is if we just hear the parable at its face value, we may miss the deeper meaning about God's kingdom. If our ears are not open to a, to a different way of hearing, we will never understand the meaning of this story, the meaning that Jesus wants us to understand. A Few years ago, I uh, I took up the hobby of bird watching. Uh, we were living in Africa at the time, and there was all kinds of beautiful uh, birds that that live on the African continent. And I thought, oh, this is a good chance for me to to learn their names and where to find them. And so I uh, went out a number of Saturday mornings with sort of a local bird watching group there in the in the Nairobi area where we were living, and. Um, I, As I was learning how to identify birds, I recognized very quickly that um, I was not really a very serious bird watcher because I thought that the way that you watch birds is that you go out someplace where birds live and you have high-powered binoculars, and when you find them, you look at them. I didn't know that you also wanted to be able to identify them by name, Uh, The real bird watchers know their scientific names, and the real serious bird watchers, they can identify the bird by its voice, by its call. And uh, so I guess that makes me sort of a bird watching poser of sorts. But I think that's what Jesus is trying to say here. Um, It's one thing to hear the words of this parable that I've just spoken, but it's another thing to hear deeply to, and to be able to identify the voice of God speaking in this parable. Now, the question often comes up when, when we encounter parables like this one, is Jesus purposely trying to confuse us? And, and uh, we, we, we didn't read this section, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but uh, in this section between the parable and the interpretation of parable, Jesus kind of goes into this riff of talking about uh, Isaiah uh, and Isaiah's call in, in Isaiah chapter 6, and he talks about how right after Isaiah responds to his call to ministry, he is told that his ministry will not be well received. Isaiah, you're going you're gonna to get to the place where uh, I'm calling you to serve, and you are, you, they're not going to pay any attention to you. In fact, Isaiah is told that his job will be to preach to faithless people. Now, now how's that for an encouraging beginning to, uh, to a new ministry? That's, that's rough. It's second only to starting ministry right after COVID hits, right? <laughs> so, so Matthew quotes this passage. What I think Jesus is trying to do here is he's not trying to confuse us, well, maybe a little, but, but he, he's only simply trying to confuse us to the extent that we understand that when we read the Scripture, when we read the parables, we are dependent upon God's Spirit to give us insight into that text, right? It's not just about reading the words on the page, it's about having the, the ears of our heart opened up to hear what God wants to say to us in that text. And when we fail to rely and listen to the words of that spirit, we may miss the whole point altogether. That's what I think Jesus is trying to suggest to us. And no, I don't think Jesus is trying to confuse us. I think he teaches in parables to communicate truth to us about God's kingdom in a way that gets past all of our screens. You know, it's, it's sort of like um, when I was new here six or seven months ago, and none of you knew me, never heard me preach before. And, I, you know, so I was sort of a curiosity. And you thought, oh, he's kind of different. And he's got sort of a quirky way about him, and he's got, you know, whatever. And you, and you probably paid attention at that point. But now that I've been here for six or seven months, you're probably going, oh, okay, here we go. He's going, to, he's going to tell us an illustration now, and then he's going to make the, you know. The, that's what happens. We, we create screens when, uh, when we are uh, familiar with the, either the communicator or the message that's being communicated to us, right? And I think one of the ways that Jesus uses parables is to sort of break down or get around those screens that we naturally set up that keep us from hearing the, the underlying truth of the, of the message, So so moving on to actually interpreting this parable, Jesus does it for us, so there's not going to be a lot of debate about how I uh, uh, preach about this text this morning, but this extended interpretation begins at verse 18 and continues to 23, and it reflects the various responses to Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God, the various results of the seed that gets cast in these different places. So those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand is similar, Jesus says, to those uh, to that seed that is cast and falls on the path. It, it never really gets a chance to take root because as soon as it lands uh, on, that, on that well-trodden path, the wind blows it away or someone comes along after and steps on it and, and, and crushes it so the seed is not able to grow as it is uh, required to do if it's going to bear fruit. Then there is the seed that falls on the rocky ground. This refers to the person who hears and receives it with, with joy. And there's a sense here as you read it, if you read between the lines, that there's, there's a transformation that's beginning in, the, in that seed's life, right? But since the seed cannot take root amidst all of the stones, the seed quickly withers and dies, we're told. When the person faces some of the challenges of life, because their roots are so shallow, the gospel quickly loses their attention and they move on to the next best or better thing, right? And we know people for whom that's true. I do. Started out strong, deeply committed to their faith, and over time it kind of went someplace else. The seed that falls among the thorns is like the person who hears the word, but the worries and cares of this world choke it out before their faith has time to bear fruit. The, the worries and the cares uh, squelch the opportunity for that seed to take root and to flourish. And then finally, some seed falls on good soil. So this is the good news of this parable, right? This is the person who hears the word and receives it. This is the seed that produces a bountiful crop uh, yielding 100 or 60 or 30 times the original seed that was cast by the sower. It's an amazing uh, productivity if you think about it. What I think this parable of the sower actually does for us and I want to spend the last part of my sermon sort of addressing this issue, is I think that it, it presents with us, it defines for us what discipleship looks like. It defines for us what discipleship looks like. The parable um, uh, defines it like this. Discipleship is hearing, it's accepting, It's bearing fruit, and it's following the way of Jesus that results in a bountiful harvest. Let me say that one more time. It's hearing, it's accepting, it's bearing fruit, and it's following the way of Jesus that results in a bountiful harvest. Let's just touch on each of these things briefly. Discipleship as hearing the word. To live a life of a disciple of Jesus, first of all, requires that each and every one of us in this room and watching uh, from your homes this this afternoon or this morning, um, we have to hear the good news. We have to hear it. Hearing with our ears, of course, is one thing, and I've already alluded to that, but hearing with our hearts is quite another thing. And in order to hear, someone, of course, needs to speak. The gracious sound of the good news needs to encounter us at that moment in time when we need it, right? At that moment when, we're, when we are actually paying attention, at that moment when, when all of the other noise in our lives is not drowning out that persistent and that gentle voice of God. Now, I, I've met people in the course of my life in ministry who have attended church their whole lives, they have sat under uh, preacher after preacher, they have heard sermon after sermon after sermon, only to say to me that it wasn't until they heard the gospel at a particular moment in time that they actually decided to follow Jesus. Almost suggesting that, uh, that up until that point, the gospel wasn't presented. I don't think it necessarily means that. It, wasn't, it doesn't mean that the gospel, that, that preacher wasn't preaching the gospel in that particular church or, or that that person even may have not heard it uh, in, in that period of time. It simply means that until we are ready to hear with, with the ears of our heart, if you will, it doesn't matter how many times we hear the gospel. It, it, can, it can slap us in the face multiple times, and if, if the Spirit of God is not interpreting that for us, then we will not hear it. The first step of Christian discipleship is we must hear. And and when you think about it, it's God's spirit that interprets for us in order that we can hear and understand. This is not something that we do. This is is where we rely on the spirit of God, right? And And here's really the interesting thing. It doesn't really matter how good or bad the communicator is, how good or bad the preacher is. It doesn't matter whether we as preachers develop this sort of surefire approach to convince people of the truth of the gospel. It doesn't even matter if the gospel that we communicate is the complete message of salvation at that moment in time. It doesn't matter. If the Spirit of God doesn't interpret in our hearing, it's all just noise anyway. Discipleship is an act of hearing. Two, discipleship is an act of accepting. Once we hear with the Spirit's assistance, then it's our job to either accept that good news or reject it. This is the one place in the process, if you think about it, where spiritual transformation takes place, where we have a particular role to play. In order to accept that which we hear and believe, we have to have a posture of humility and a sense of remorse, a willingness to to, to kind of change. In the the gospel, it's it's called repentance. Without a posture of humility, it's really difficult to accept uh, the gospel. Being open to the possibility that we might not have everything all figured out, that's sort of a kind of humility, isn't it? Being willing to to set aside our know-it-all, take-charge way of living and recognizing that we have to give up some of our preconceived notions about God, faith, and life as an act of humility in order to hear and receive the gospel. Some of us in the room and, and watching at home today are in this place. You've never really heard deeply because you've never really been willing to receive it with humility. You know, there's a a, a mysterious and wonderful recognition that even though we're not all that God intends for us to be, none of us are uh, sitting here in this room, but even though that is true for most of us, accepting this word of truth interpreted for us by God's Spirit invites us to release our lives to God and allow God to bring healing and hope and change in our lives. Try it. Try it. You might be surprised by what God can do when we take a posture of humility and begin to accept the good news on God's terms and not on our terms. There there may be external circumstances for some of us that make it extremely difficult for us to accept what we hear. I know this to be true. Just like that seed that falls on the path, these external circumstances may make hearing the good news really difficult Perhaps, uh, perhaps we grew up in a very restrictive religious environment as a child, and that has distorted our view of God. We have, this, we have this sense of God as sort of a policeman who's just waiting to catch us in our sin. And so our job is to sort of hide and stay out of the way. Or maybe after being told we are worthless by our parents a hundred times as we grew up, we've, we have this distorted view of ourselves where we could, we could never believe that, that God would extend his mercy and grace to us. It's impossible. Each of us have to deal with the various impediments that are unique to us in order to accept this invitation of the gospel. But when we do, when we do have the humility to accept, to receive this good news, it is the most remarkable thing in the world to see a person who could not understand all of a sudden see and hear and believe. I have been a pastor for a long time, and I never grow weary of seeing that kind of life transformation that takes place in the heart of, of a person who is receiving the gospel for the first time. Discipleship is bearing fruit. The third characteristic is that the seed lands in good soil and it takes root and it bears fruit. The person who hears and accepts God's good news of forgiveness and grace is like the seed. Their life is no less challenging than before, so, so don't expect that to happen because you'll be surprised that, it, that you're going to face some of the same challenges that, that you had before. But there is this this beautiful sense of confidence and generosity that is exhibited in the life of the person who is bearing the fruit of the gospel. Now, I don't want to to push this metaphor too far, but consider the fact that that the reason why we plant seed to begin with is so that what? What? The plant can take root and grow, and so we can have beautiful flowers in the winter. Or if you are a farmer and you grow wheat, it's so that you can harvest the the wheat so that you can make bread. Or if you uh, have an apple orchard, it's so that you can pick the apples and you can make cider or pie. You get my point. The reason the sower plants the seed is because he's anticipating. He expects that the seed will take root and it'll grow and it will bear fruit and it will be harvested. The reason the sower plants the seed is so that the seed can, can ultimately uh, be given away. The, the, the result of the, the, the product of that seed can be given away. You see, the miracle and the mystery of bearing fruit, just like hearing the word, is something that we don't have much control over. I don't know if you thought much about that. We don't really have control over the fruit that happens in our lives. And sometimes the fruit that we bear in our lives is the result of distress, distress that we have experienced that forces our roots deeper into the soil of God's spirit. If you were a, uh, owned a vineyard and you were a winemaker, you would understand this because the best grapes, the most tasty and luscious grapes, are not from the vines that don't have to work in order to uh, grow. It's the vines that are distressed. They don't get enough water. The soil is rocky. So what has to happen? The, the, the taproot of those vines have to go deep into the soil, and it's there that the, that the vine captures the nourishment that it needs in order to produce a, a, a beautiful and luscious grapes. The one thing that we can know for sure is that regardless of the challenges or the suffering or the distress that we may be experiencing even now, God can use all of that stuff. Let me say that again. God can use all of that stuff to create in us abundant and beautiful fruit. So, finally, discipleship is about a bountiful harvest. At the very end of this parable, we are told that some of the seed produces 30, even 60, even 100-fold. By any measure, 30% growth is pretty good, right? Like if you're watching your your retirement uh, fund and you get a 30% growth on average over time, uh, you'd be doing pretty well. And sometimes the same seed produces 60 or 100 times... These are staggering amounts of productivity, which I think is Jesus' point. I think that Jesus is suggesting that for those who hear the gospel, who accept it and receive it and receive the mercy and grace that God offers us, then the byproduct of our lives will lead to evidence of God's grace in our lives that extends beyond what we could ever hope for or ever imagine. It's like like that missionary that spends their entire career laboring in uh, the mission field in a region of the world where the soil is really hard, where they don't see a lot of growth, they don't see a lot of productivity. In some cases, there are stories of missionaries that don't see one conversion in their entire life on the mission field. And then when it's their time to go or they die, then God brings bounty because of their faithfulness. It isn't until they're no longer there that God begins to reap the harvest of their ministry. This, by the way, as I talk to missionaries, is a very common story. In a similar way, Jesus tells us this parable of the sower to make a specific point about the nature of God's kingdom and our place in it. We don't need to worry about the details of of where the seed lands. That's the sower's job. And the sower doesn't really seem to bother with it. We will witness that the seed of the gospel lands all over the place, but it's the seed that lands in that good soil that takes root, and it grows, and it bears fruit, and it produces beyond our wildest imagination. As, as I understand the, the character of God, it doesn't matter whether your life is like a path or a stony field or a rich Kansas or Missouri soil. God is the one who sows, and the Spirit is the one that helps us here, and our job, you know what that is? To bear fruit. Perhaps you, you're sitting here today or you're watching online, and you've been in church for a long time, and you've never understood the nature of God's mercy and desire to see fruit in your life until right now. And you desire to be a seed that's not that's not stuff, snuffed out by the concerns of the world. And if that's you, then allow God's Spirit to speak truth into your life, and accept that truth as the starting place of your own spiritual transformation. Maybe you've heard and even accepted the gospel as a child or, or when you were younger and you, uh, you had all kinds of enthusiasm uh, in those days, but now the seed that was, in, was planted in you has uh, been run over by weeds, the weeds of, of distraction, the, the pursuit of money or other unhealthy practices. You know, it's never too late to allow the truth of God's word to penetrate into your rocky soil in order to grow and flourish in your life. It's never too late. Some of you may desire to hear, accept, bear fruit, but you can't get past your own sort of distorted images of God and your own sense of failure in order to hear the good news of God's gracious invitation to you, even today. And to you I say, all you have to do is listen and respond to the voice of God calling you into a life of humility and wholeness. To you I say, if you've been in control of your life and it isn't working out so well, perhaps it's time to allow God to have control of your life wherever you might find yourself on this path of discipleship today, the the real miracle of this story is that once the seed is planted, the only thing that any of us can do is accept it and believe it that God is at work turning over the soil, removing the stones, and preparing our hearts to accept and believe so that our lives will bear the fruit of the gospel in ways we couldn't even imagine. My my prayer for you uh, today and for this coming week as you contemplate and maybe chew on this parable a little bit more is that you identify which of these soils is descriptive of your life right now and try to get yourself to a place where you can allow God's Spirit to do the work that God's Spirit wants to do in your life um, so that you can be on a path of uh, becoming that bountiful harvest that God wants to do in, in all of our lives.